Welcome to episode 128 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. The Fringe season is upon us, and in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking to a lot of amazing Fringe artists. And you're going to want to make sure that you don't miss anyway. And one way to make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy is to subscribe to the podcast. And subscribing is easy. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts or Google Music and search for Stageworthy, then click the handy subscribe button. And if you like the podcast, I would love it if you'd leave a comment or rating, because your ratings and comments help new people find the show. If you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is playwright Eric Peterson. Eric's play, Final Exam, is part of the 2018 edition of the Toronto Fringe Festival and will be presented at the Maddie Ackler Recreation Centre in Toronto's East End. So we'll just we'll just jump in. All right. um, is it recording to, already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, I'll cut out anything where sure. we're where we're if we're if we're saying anything terrible about people. Um, yes, because you know people suck. Um, it, not the people coming to our show. No, of course not. Of course not. Uh, those people do not suck. Um, <clears throat> so come to our show and you won't <laughs> suck. <laughs> um, why don't we start, Eric? But so the show. Full disclosure: I'm in the show. Um, and it's called uh, Final Draft. No, no, Final Exam. Final Exam. Boom. Final. I was. Oh, God damn it. So the show is called. The show is called Final Exam. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to uh, take a second and describe what the show is about? Sure. So imagine a time. I don't know. Twenty five, thirty years in the future, mm-hmm. and uh, we're in a. The audience enters. You're in a high school setting. You're in a classroom with the students and a teacher. And it's unclear whether your biggest concern is uh, taking the exam and, uh, or the, the fact that aliens are coming and they're going to swoop you up into the hive mind. <laughs> now, for most of us, this wouldn't be a tough call, but apparently for many of our students, they're torn between what is causing them more anxiety. That's true. That's true. And, and, and the, alien, the hive mind is like something that's being forced on everybody, right? It's like, in theory... In theory, there's some escape hatches, and the aliens aren't taking everybody. So everyone that's around is seeing some benefit, mm-hmm. and certainly sure. their parents do. And I, I had earlier drafts where I talked about how employers were going to assume you were going to be part of it. Right. And so there were many uh, more, I don't know, uh, things kind of forcing people into this decision sure. I, I cut most of that out i just said you know what people have to accept the fact that everyone around here is basically bought into it and sure going forward. yeah yeah um what was the what was your um your like did was there something that sparked the idea for this for you so it's been in my head for a while actually and um <clears throat> 
I I think it just was kind of interesting for the Genesis actually was kind of thinking about Alan Bennett's The History Boys, which mm-hmm. is a play um, set in England about a, a whole bunch of kids who managed to get accepted into um, Cambridge or Oxford. And uh, I, I thought it was kind of interesting to sort of play with that idea of, of looking at the teacher-student relationship in the context, well, what would happen if, you know, the the Borg, essentially some kind of hive mind, showed up and mm-hmm. sucked everyone into it? Like, what yeah. would happen with teachers and students? And, sure. and so it, the original one was maybe a tiny bit more elegiac. Mm-hmm. El- that doesn't quite sound right. But the... Um, you know, the teacher thinking about his future and being excited to, to know all of literature all at the same mm. time, but, you know, knowing that he wouldn't be as special. Yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of changed from there, but that was kind of the very original. I would say the last couple drafts have been much more inspired by two things. Number one being uh, Brexit, particularly in the context of England, where uh, you see a big generational split and an awful lot of the younger generation are extremely bitter mm. toward the older generation about making these decisions for them yeah. uh, that they, uh, on the whole, didn't support and are like, well, you know, you had your choice, you decided against it, but, you know, I wanted to travel to Europe. I yeah, wanted yeah, to be yeah. part of the EU. Uh, and that's gotten a little muted in this version, but nonetheless, there's flashes of it. And then I guess the second, which has probably kind of dominated the last couple drafts, is um, discussions about privacy, and particularly in context mm. of Facebook, yeah. where you have many people knowing there's pretty substantial and significant problems with it, and yet uh, continuing because you know their employment requires them to be on Facebook mm. or or. Uh, or being pretty nonchalant about it and yeah. saying, well, privacy doesn't really matter. Who cares? And that's yeah. particularly sort of the, the the younger generation of millennials. Like if you cut millennials in half, mm. like the younger group just don't see privacy the same way at all as far as most of the surveys sure. can say. Yeah. It, it, that's an interesting that's an interesting thought in that, um, I mean, they've, they've grown up in, you know, there's a, this, this particular... Uh, we're in a society where, you know, there's the attitude of, well, I don't have anything to hide. Um, and I guess that that's the case until there's something that you want to hide, you know? Or like, you why, does, why does privacy matter yeah. except that, you know, you don't necessarily want everybody to know everything about you? Well, I think, I mean, even just from a philosophical perspective, it, it's generally a good idea to reserve parts of yourself and not put them on display oh, all sure. the time. Yeah. But... Basically, young people don't really think through the consequences of their actions. I didn't. I'm sure most people oh, didn't. Oh, shit, no. Of course and not. I, you and I just have the benefit of the fact that our teenage years are not... Uh, they're not there are not pictures of us and all of our mistakes yeah. available for everybody on the internet. I made very few mistakes, but I certainly made some, and I wouldn't want everyone else to know them. And A lot of my mistakes have to do with clothing or hair, and I'm mm, just... That's fine with me. Yeah, yeah. I do have one or two pictures, but I did not put them on the internet of yeah. me and crazy uh, Paisley <laughs> or who knows what. Um, so I, so I think mostly young people don't realize the consequences mm. of their actions, and they don't realize how other people see them. 
And again, partly it's because people mostly travel in small Mm. circles. And it's not until you suddenly run up against a different group like, oh, I didn't realize you thought that was offensive. And here I am saying all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, And unfortunately, I think people now are almost looking for things to take offense to sure. like, you know, how dare you wear a sari or a Chinese dress sure. or something like yeah. that, which, you know, I mean, it's, I don't, anyway, uh, you know, those things have gotten magnified sure. and, uh, you know, we wouldn't have wanted all this on the internet. Actually the eighties sure. are almost a dark hole. You, it's very hard to find stuff about mm-hmm. the eighties. Yeah. It's just out on the internet. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about social media is that you don't know, like, if, you know, you're going to going to have to, like, when you are going to the border of a country and they're like, all right, so if you're going to come in, uh, your uh, Facebook and Twitter passwords, please. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to check out all of the things that you said. Oh, I thought I thought I was just saying that to my friends. Oh, no, we want to know what you're saying. Right. And, and unfortunately, uh, this whole issue of legalizing the marijuana, mm-hmm. so... You know, now people are like, well, maybe you shouldn't admit it at the border because it'll cause these problems. But if they're looking through your Facebook pages, that you may well have said sure. something about getting yeah. high with your friends. So now you've actually committed a felony because you've lied to yes. a border agent. Exactly. What do you do then? Yeah. And you know, if you're even if you're crossing the border in and you you live in Toronto, like as soon as you're at customs, that's America. Yeah. That's right. That's America. And so... It's actually America inside Pearson Airport. Exactly. Which is crazy. And they can actually do whatever the hell they want at that point. So um, this is not yeah. in the play. But, no, but, but it's like but, it's interesting things to think yeah. about. Um, and the for me, one of the interesting things to think about is how it relates to... Yes, it would be great to have access to all knowledge. But if everybody has access to all knowledge, then I'm not special. Right. And a lot, in a lot of cases, I think if we're honest with ourselves, the reason why we want to have access to all knowledge is so that we'll be special. Yeah. You know. Right. So one of the teachers, actually, Mr. Miller, uh, has this vision in his head that he will be able to help curate this. And like mm-hmm. because he's had so much more knowledge than most of his students, certainly, and other teachers – He'll be well placed mm-hmm. to sort of be a, a curator and one of these tastemakers. Sure. Um, and another teacher says, "Well, maybe, but there's probably a few million people in your shoes, so yeah. maybe this isn't the best plan." Uh, kind of reminds me of something a uh, long time ago when I was uh, in grad school and I was doing well, but not well enough to make the cut, basically. And someone said, "Well, you know, you think you're special, but maybe." <laughs> maybe you just aren't good enough it's mm. like, wow okay wow yeah so yeah maybe a little bit of that's coming to the surface in the play well i mean there i mean we always draw from from our our own experience even if it's not explicitly about us there's thing we always put things from our own lives in there somewhere right but yeah so i think there's no question if everyone has the same knowledge then it becomes devalued mm-hmm. who cares anymore mm-hmm. and and Probably people will still f- mostly focus on celebrities and their news, since that drives you know eighty percent of the sure. news feed. Sure, I mean, but another interesting question is like, if if that's the case, then um, who's like, what makes somebody a celebrity? Like, and besides that, we are like now I know all the things that they know. You know, 
I don't know. It's like there's some interesting, there's some really interesting questions in it. Yeah. Uh, Eric, at what point did you start uh, writing for theater? So I did very short plays in university, but uh, only one of them. I was part of a group um, uh, exercise that we put on a group show. Then I took a long break, and it wasn't until I was in Chicago. I was actually in the board of a theater company and uh, uh, got really inspired by being around the, the actors. And I started writing a few short pieces and then like a full-length piece. And we did table reads. We didn't actually do and kind of a quasi-staged reading. Yeah. Then I came to Toronto. Okay, then in Vancouver, I've moved around a lot. In Vancouver, I uh, was in a screenwriting play class and i finished a second full length mm-hmm. script but again not much happened with that and then in toronto i guess 2014 i started writing mostly for the uh, sing for your supper uh, mm-hmm. the the stage reading yeah uh, the cold reading um event and basically just there i mean mostly i tend to write 10 to 20 page short mm-hmm. playlets but um this one uh came about and it just seemed the right time to try to put it in the fringe yeah and you mentioned that you were in chicago and then vancouver like were you where did you grow up i grew up in michigan okay and uh i spent a lot of time well i spent about five years on the east coast mostly in, in new york and then uh 10 or 12 years in chicago partly grad school and working uh, did you have a lot of exposure to theater when you were when you were younger? I would say uh, a reasonable amount. Um, my parents would take me to some of the theater. In high school, they took us to the university productions, and mm-hmm. uh, but where I grew up was a little smaller, so there weren't a lot of theater hmm. uh, events. It really was university where I started going to basically everything. University <laughs> of Michigan had yeah. a really good uh i mean sure it still does but a very good drama program and the ann arbor civic players i think had a good season as well it's interesting because you know uh, one of the most i mean almost everybody that i've everybody that i've spoken to in two years of doing this podcast they've been exposed they were exposed to some theater when they were a kid and that affected them in some way Mm -hmm. and that sort of like speaks to the importance of parents and their willingness to take people even if it's to the pantomime or whatever the the theaters do it at christmas yeah there has to be a first exposure somewhere right well uh chicago in particular is interesting because theater is so prevalent it's becoming something that people will just do and take friends to but mm-hmm. you're right in general theater is seen as a very elite activity and it's mm-hmm. hard I mean, I think the theater in the parks is a great thing because oh, yeah. a lot of people find out about it that wouldn't go and maybe fall in love with more. Yeah. I mean, again, nothing at all wrong with theater in the parks, but then they want to explore more and, sure. and go to, you know, indoor performances. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult. Um, you know, so you kind of do need theater in the schools sure. or, again, parents taking people to young people's theater or things in the park yeah because it is hard to because most people when they think about theater they don't think about theater at the storefront or the the red sand castle or any of the independent theaters or sometimes even uh factory past mariah or tarragon they're thinking like the big expensive mervish show mervish or even soul pepper yeah. which is pretty pricey nowadays. yeah 
Um, and that's what they're thinking. That's why people are often like, oh, theater is not for me because I can't really afford it. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate Moonies doesn't have a slightly bigger um, subscriber base because I think they're really great in terms of, you know, really focusing on what are the cheap theater, you know, $20, $25 or below. Oh, the Mooney on theater. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love the blog. I, 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 I mean, obviously, from the way that uh, it seems that uh, theater criticism is going, I think that internet criticism is pretty much the only one of the few ways to to get stuff out there. Right. Um, but I don't know who's looking, who's reading it. Like, are we are we looking for our own? Like, are we looking for ourselves? Are we reading about our friends or the people who are actually who are going there to find out? How do you find out about it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard to even get in the world. I mean, once mm. you're there, then there's a lot of opportunities, and, yeah. and many of these companies do have some great deals for mm. people under thirty. Um, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure Tarragon does, and certainly the other ones do. Uh, and uh, there's plenty of independent theater that you can see for, you know, ten or fifteen or twenty dollars. Yeah. So it's it's not, you know, that's not nothing, but it's certainly not at all the same as. Uh, as Mervish, no, it's well. It's certain, I mean, yeah, I mean the there's there's great stuff out there. It's just a matter of like people finding it, and that's one of the things that Fringe is great for. Yes, yeah. like you have like what is it, twelve days ish, twelve ish days, ten to twelve days of of a really affordable theater, um, right? And some of it even is free. There's yeah. there's piece things I think on the Fringe Pavilion that are essentially free. There's a uh, I'm pretty sure there's some stuff that's half price. Yeah. This year they're doing preview tickets. Yeah. Uh, we're actually going to have one preview. Uh, the first show is uh, Thursday, and that'll be a preview show. Mm-hmm. So that'll be good if people are um, a little more budget conscious. And uh, and that would be on uh, the 4th of July. Sounds good. Fourth of <laughs> July. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll so have some fireworks. Yeah, there. some fireworks. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and and the fringe is also making uh, making a big effort to uh, there's sort of I can't remember the exact programs, but basically uh, tickets are donated by the companies to mm. uh, children, basically nice. mostly high school children. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I haven't totally decided if we're going to do that. I yeah. think ours is a relatively small production yeah. in terms of the seating, so it may not work as well. But um, but yeah, there's a number of opportunities out there. Yeah. And there's also the the initiative that that that, uh, that we're part of, which is uh, outside of the usual fringe core, which is the yes. the, the, the site specific locations, which are not in that usual. Uh, boundaries. Right. So this is a very exciting uh, opportunity, and and uh, as the fringe was saying, well, not everyone can come to the fringe, so we'll go to the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this year there are six site-specific shows not in the downtown core, including ours, yeah. Final Exam, which mm-hmm. is at, in East York at Maddie Eckler, which is uh, the intersection of Gerard and Pape. And there's another one on Danforth, and then there's at least one or two in Parkdale. Mm-hmm. So this is very exciting, and yeah. if it goes well, then you know next year the fringe will have a few more. Yeah, and uh, so you know sure. if people are interested, this is certainly something to support. You know to to check out the fringe in uh, outside the traditional areas. Yeah, and also in some some really interesting locations because this show, uh, uh, final exam, is like we're we're basically creating a 
a classroom that the audience is going to be part of. Right. Like if you're sitting in that room, we're, you're basically one of the students. That's right. So there won't be any major participation from the audience. Yeah, that, that's that. That you're not going to be required to to take an exam. Or anything, right. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it is. I think it'll feel a lot like a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, some of the others are in really interesting spaces as mm-hmm. well. And I know there's going to be one promenade show, kind of in someone's front yard. Wow. Going nice. somewhere else. Uh, last year, there was a very successful promenade show that was in three locations somewhere. Um, um, it went from like a, uh, a a little restaurant, mm. and then it went into someone's garage, and then mm. someone's patio. Wow. So that wow. was fun. That's fun. And this one will, won't be so many places, but it'll still be outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I think those are great. Though, yeah. Of course, you do have to watch a little for the weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, that is the thing. You do have to keep your eye on that. Um just to, to to backtrack a little bit about about you, Eric. You were, you know, you did your time, uh, you know, did some time in in Chicago and, and Vancouver. Um, as somebody traveling around, were you traveling around uh, because that's where the the work was, or or did you? Um, what was what was and what brought you to Toronto? So it was a bit of a mix. Um, I'm not a professional performer or writer, uh, so I have a a side gig, which is a full-time gig, uh, in, uh, essentially consulting. And, um, so the good news is we're often able to find jobs in urban areas. Mm -hmm. Consultants are, and I was, uh, attracted by this particular job in Vancouver. And so we did pick up and move. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, there was, uh, and it was interesting and I definitely enjoyed the job, but, mm. uh, Vancouver wasn't quite for us. Mm. Um, I might actually lived in Toronto in what for one year in the early to mid nineties mm-hmm. when I was at the university of Toronto. And I always thought, well, it'd be kind of great to come back. Yeah. And I was deep enough into the process that, uh, uh, I was well on my way to a permanent residency card. And I said, well, I might as well stick with it. Why well, don't go to Toronto and send yeah. it back to Chicago? Mm. Uh, and for me, it's been a very nice mix. Toronto has, a, a, well, has a, a really good cultural mix, a yeah. lot of concerts, mm. uh, uh, a good art scene, a good theater scene. I mean, it doesn't compare to Chicago, but it is a good theater scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and also for the kids, some great universities yeah. and just... It's a kind of a nice mix. It's got a little bit of everything. I've heard a lot of good things about about Chicago. So about the theater scene there, it's quite amazing. Um, I would say it's probably three to four times the number of just shows. So you like open up the reader, and it'll be you know like four pages of openings almost every day. Wow! So you would uh, there would be weeks I would go see two shows. I'm sorry, months where I'd say two shows every week. Hmm. And hmm. Um, it's not that you can't do it here, but it's a little bit harder. You do have to look a little harder for it sometimes if you really... Right. And uh, and uh, most of it was kind of independent storefront theater. Mm-hmm. That's certainly the majority of what I went to. Yeah, and I mean, we're sort of like in the, in the, in the position of uh, here of sort of trying to rebuild our storefronts. I mean... 
Red Sandcastle has been there for a while. Assembly just reopened, or Unit 102 just opened right. with the Assembly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Storefront is perpetually um, in progress. The Storefront Theater. I look forward to when they... Yeah, I talked very briefly with uh, the new AD, and uh, they're putting a business plan together, and they're hopeful, but it's yeah. going to be a challenge, and mm-hmm. uh, particularly they're hoping that this time around, on top of getting a new location, they can pay the actors more. I'm like, yeah. well, good luck with that. Well, I'm very hopeful, but it's That'd be great tough. for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, speaking of Storefront, when did you find Sing for Your Supper, and... and and uh, how did you find Sing Free? And just Storefront, Storefront Theater produced the basically a cult reading series called Sing for Your Supper. It is not for musical theater. I've had so many people say, I would go, but I don't do musical theater. It's not musical theater. It's no. just cold readings of plays. That's a really good question. I, I remember the first time I went to a Storefront mm-hmm. uh, show, and that was... Um, that was uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. which was probably in 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if they kind of advertise it there or it just happened to be something I happened to stumble across mm-hmm. in the in the reviews of the, um, not the reviews, but the listings of the Now magazine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, just to kind of appeal to me in this idea of uh, throwing it up there. And mm. and uh, I was very fortunate. My first um, piece was accepted. Mm. And I was like, oh, this will be a breeze. And yeah. But no, the second and third weren't accepted. It took a while for me to kind of get my uh, stride. Um, and after a, a bit of a layoff, they've, they've kind of returned. And uh, I've been pretty successful writing short pieces for them the last... Uh, few months so it's sort of a great little like to go once a month and just sort of like be in a room with a bunch of people and and get a chance to read something sometimes it's like like literally hot off the typewriter computer keyboard whatever but like yeah it can be new most of it's only a week old two weeks old (laughs) so that could be like really exciting and and it could be written by by anybody yeah and they've been pretty lucky recently getting uh a lot of new writers, mm-hmm. so they have to balance the older writers that are not even that established, but just kind of are are better known quantities, or, sure. and uh, and then the new folks. But it is really exciting to kind of see some new folks that haven't been there before right. and see what they can do. And um, you know, as as they say, nobody gets paid, so you just kind of show up for the community and to yeah. find out about what else is going on. I think that's the big part of it is the is the community and the uh, the just the the I think we have few opportunities to just be a community in this city um, and it's a great chance to just sort of like hang out for a bit and read something new and it's very supportive and I would say the same thing about the Toronto cold reads which yeah, is a, yeah, yeah. which is also a great uh, reading series um, uh, which is it's got a slightly different thing they usually show up every Sunday for about two months at a time and then they take a bit of a hiatus and they come back for two months. So, you know, it kind of depends. And uh, a new thing that they've been doing this last couple of years is having a musical artist, which is nice to kind mm-hmm. of, um, uh, just a, a different focus, a different kind of creativity. Sure. Um, 
And the other thing that's a little different about uh, terminal cold reads is they tend to they tend to kind of get interested in projects that you know it's a slice of a bigger piece. Whereas sure. Sing for Your Supper is almost always sort of standalone playlists. They can be very much standalone, and and I found that one of the differences between the two is a lot of the stuff that I was seeing at Toronto Cold Reads was were screenplays. Yes. Um, whereas Sing for Your Supper is almost exclusively. Is it pretty much exclusively plays? Pretty much, yeah, and and that's fine. I, I will admit, uh, a couple of them, I will. I wish the person would uh, cut half the stage directions because <laughs> screenplays have a lot of yeah, 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 yeah. stage yeah, no, directions. It's true. And it's good to like you know. I mean, whenever I'm writing, I'm always like, if the state like, do I need the stage direction? I'm like. I don't put in a lot of stage direction. I'm not a I'm not a Tennessee Williams or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like minimal, or Sarah Rule or Sarah Rule. This is like all minimal stuff. Like what do they need? Yeah. Because um, I know eventually somebody's going to just ignore that anyway and do their own things. So, right. You know. But you're right. Uh, there's no question. A fair number of people at the Toronto Cold Reads are hoping to do either mm-hmm. you know TV writing or, sc- or screenwriting, sure. and I'm not sure, but I think the long timers that keep coming back to sing for your supper, are not interested in the same way. They're a little more oriented toward the fringe. Yeah, there have been yeah. some sort of previews of fringe productions. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and you sometimes see that at Toronto reads as well. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, it's good because I have occasionally seen crossover between the, between the two people who go to, and some of the organizers from uh, Toronto Cold Reads have shown up at uh, at Sing for Your Supper, so it's mm-hmm. it's really good to have that sort of that sort of crossover, so that we're right, you know, not working in silos. Um, <clears throat> do you remember the first thing that you wrote? Not necessarily for Cold Reads, but do you remember what the first the first thing that you wrote was? Yes. So this would have been university. Um, so the very first thing was actually a series of poems that got rolled up into this uh what was it called uh it was something that we put on uh in in ann arbor but i don't really count that because i only had a few poems that were part of it i didn't write Mm -hmm. the linking material um the first thing was a, a short piece about uh two women in an office and a guy who was kind of bugging one of them for a date mm-hmm. and the the women would kind of talk back and forth about their history and um i think at the end the woman gave the guy a chance they were going to go on a date but uh, she didn't she said i'm driving because the uh, other woman had told her this weird story about how her parents had uh basically her father had uh threatened he he was so madly in love with her mother he had threatened to drive off the side of the road if she wouldn't marry him and uh the, the irony is this is actually a story i stole from somebody else mm. so i embedded this in there and yeah. then she's like oh uh, well okay we'll go out on a date but i'm driving yeah so i think i've always been uh, attracted to humor and irony mm. yeah well there's certainly there's certainly quite a bit of it in uh, in, uh, in in final exam there's a lot of there's a lot of humor, um, although there's some dark stuff, a little bit of dark stuff in there, too, which sort of balances out that humor. Yeah, I was hoping for a pretty dark but humorous piece. <laughs> You'll have to come and see for yourself. Well, I think that there's there's like, I think 
if you, I think a lot of people when they're talking about humor, they shy away from dark because they figure like, oh, it's if it's funny, it needs to be light and it needs to be. But there's there's sort of you know that can kind of be dull after about ten minutes. You yeah, know, you, having a little, something that's heavy or a little darker can actually um, give some weight to what you're talking about. I think I, I, there's definitely something to that. And many of the pieces that I know are never going to go longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're more or less a sketch mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, to maintain that for 40 plus minutes, I think you're right. You need something a little deeper. Yeah. Um, you know, people with the longer pieces expect character arcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's huge character arcs in here. There's bits of them. Um, and so if you're not doing that, then you have to do something else. And um, I wouldn't say I was directly inspired by George F. Walker, but there's no question I find his really dark humor interesting. Mm-hmm. I've seen many of his plays. Yeah. Uh, not that I really think this was a direct inspiration. No, but it's, it's interesting. Like the, I find the, 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 the conversations that the, uh, the high school students are having pretty interesting. Um, just because, you know, you've got some who are, who are completely into the idea of, of joining the hive mind and others who, well, there's one character who may at one point have been like a star student and now he's just, uh, he's really kind of withdrawn into himself yeah. because he's so unhappy about the situation mm-hmm. and kind of just gotten star- sarcastic. Um, cause he, you know, it's a little bit like one of those uh, tiny bit like the two serve man thing where it's like, don't you see this? How can I yeah, be the yeah. only one that doesn't see yeah. what's going on? Yeah. And of course, there are more people that have rejected the this hive mind. And, you know, who knows? Toronto's population could be half of what it used to be. Sure. But uh, we're going on the assumption that most people by 2050 are so used to not having any privacy, they hardly... Hardly notice it. Well, so. there's also the idea. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people will go along with what they think is the majority opinion. Yeah. Like I, if everybody's doing it, if, yeah. if they think that everybody's into it, and I'm sure that in this world, the news has been talked has just been propagandizing. Yeah, everything's going to be great once this happens. Yeah, the government's for it. Yeah. So uh, again, not a direct influence, but definitely something that I was thinking a little bit about was if you've seen any of. Um, the Amazon production of the man in the high castle. Mm, mm. So, uh, both the, the TV, sh- oh, well, series and the, and the book talk about a situation where the U S has lost, uh, world war two and the Nazis have pretty much taken over the whole East coast. Actually, they're, they go past the Mississippi and yeah, people are just on board with it. They've, yeah. some people are totally on board with it and some people are, just okay with it um but there's very few true resistors yeah and uh i see that a lot of that i mean you sort of look at different societies that have i don't know i mean to get super political i mean turkey or uh ukraine or well north korea is a little bit different Mm. but but a lot of places where you know kind of a strong man comes into the philippines mm-hmm. actually is another mm-hmm. really good example and you're like how could this be and people are just like well they voted for it they kind of wanted the top dog yeah. and they've got it and and everything gets realigned and yeah. uh 
Um, so humans are pretty adaptable and mm. usually we'll kind of go with the flow. Yeah. Cause this is too hard to always be fighting. Uh, it's exhausting it's to fight exhausting. all the time. Even, yeah, it's completely exhausting. And, uh, so, I mean, not to be completely depressing about it, no. but I, I think, you know, in the situation where the government has its own reasons for uh, going along with this alien invasion, after a certain point, you know, most... Okay, aliens are maybe a step beyond, but I mean, in general, the government kind of lays down the law and most people go along with well, it. Well, that's that's absolutely true. Is the average person, because it's the law, they'll go along with it. Or whatever the government says... They're an authority, therefore we go along with it. Right, and it doesn't take that many tastemakers to kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, even if you had sort of government-sponsored tastemakers mm-hmm. to sort of set the agenda, like, it, it wouldn't take all that many to convince people for all kinds of crazy things. I mean, we're seeing some completely unbelievable realignments in the, in the U.S. with, yeah. you know, the Republicans essentially going along with, uh, Trump on downgrading the Russia as a threat. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, this would be completely treasonous. And yeah. yet now it's, you well, know. Well, who would have thought that um, people who were white supremacists would, would, would complain that, that they were being discriminated against? Well, actually, it doesn't surprise me. But, well, no, but I mean... Like, but that they be listened to seriously does surprise me. Well, I mean, what I think about it is, like, when people are saying, I, when people are not, you know, if you call... It used to be, like, if you called somebody a Nazi, that was one of the worst things you could say. And now if you, if you call some people a Nazi, they're fine with it. It's very depressing. Yeah. I, maybe we should move back to something else. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things, it, it, one of the challenges... To producing in the fridge is 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 promoting the show. Yes, and uh, how do you get how do you get noticed? Um, and of course, we have an additional challenge with this show in that we're not right in the the main fringe area. Although right. hopefully the fringe is like giving some support because of this new initiative. Yeah. What's your? Do you have a, a plan for for how we're how you're you're promoting the show? Well, the podcast is a good start. Um, we do have a Twitter page. Uh, it's Final Exam To, and we're beginning to ramp that up. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be doing some postcards and and posters, though. Again, part of the issue is not being in the core makes it a little harder to. It's not harder to distribute. Just are you getting the right audience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll probably put more posters on on Queen and Danforth yeah. uh, if I can. You know, make them look nice and yeah. convince some people to put them there. The, definitely what we're going to do, I haven't yet, but I will uh, talk very shortly to um, uh, Counselor Fletcher's office and Peter Tobin's office mm-hmm. and kind of let them know about it mm-hmm. and try to make sure we're in the community newspaper. In fact, mm-hmm. I do need to double check what their publication deadlines are. I mm-hmm. should probably check tonight. <laughs> but, uh, you know... Um, those be the main things. Yeah. Um, you know, for better or worse, we don't have a huge number of seats. So I, I think we'll, um, we're, we don't need to try to get 50 people in the no. seats every day. We are trying to get 20, 25 or 30. Sure. That would be ideal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think 
we will do our best to sort of create a buzz like this is something sure. new mm-hmm. um some people really do like the site specifics yeah, they yeah. are so different yeah uh and they're way more intimate yeah. uh, and you'll in this case be right there with the actors and you know the alien and the various people will be running around mm-hmm. and uh, uh some people really enjoy that yeah, yeah. so i think that's something we have to offer that yeah. most uh of the more traditional pieces won't absolutely yeah so, yeah, I mean, we'll be blogging about it and yeah. uh, uh, definitely trying to get into the newspaper and the postering. And yeah. I don't have any big plans beyond mm-hmm. that, but I'm certainly open. Eric, are you, are you, are you, aside from the, 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 the final exam, TO, Twitter, are you, are you on Twitter? Are you on the web at all? Uh, I've from- got a blog. I don't have a, uh, I don't have a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the blog is Eric's Hangout dot com or dot mm-hmm. ca yeah um so i do post there pretty regularly okay um and you you have a you have a name that is also recognized yes in a difference so do you ever have to be like because i think when you you emailed me it's like it's eric peterson not that one yeah so this has been a bit of a running joke though it's not as much of a joke at sing for your supper as it used to be sure so the first couple of times they thought it was eric peterson the very famous uh <laughs> actor from uh from corner gas mm-hmm. and from a number of amazing um billy bishop and a number of amazing uh productions the first time i actually managed to see him i think was in uh something up in uh, north york and uh we were i didn't i didn't introduce myself or anything but i just was amused like having the, the universe with the two eric petersons in the same sure, place yeah, yeah, yeah. but i have occasionally emailed uh uh theater companies with a suggestion or or a comment and like oh. and they take it much more seriously until i realize that no 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 i'm not that famous eric peterson um not as well known but there's an eric peterson with even closer spelling that was uh the lead in Shrek the Musical in Broadway. Okay. So that was even more confusion. <laughs> but I think his... I don't know. I'm assuming he's still acting, but he's not as uh, active as he was. And yeah. so it's not as much of a problem. But there's no question. Um, Sing for Your Supper, they would always make a joke about uh, not being the famous Eric Peterson. And uh, um, one time, actually, Tarragon almost gave me Eric Peterson's address because <laughs> they, they, uh, we were trying to verify uh, who I was and mm. if I had the right uh, right account. <laughs> so one of these days, I probably will meet him. But uh, I don't know. I'm not going to make a big play on that because I think that would be wrong. I don't want to trade on anyone else's fame. No, it's true. Well, Eric, thank you, thank you so much for for coming on. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Did you want to say anything about? Uh, your thoughts of the the part? Or? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, I actually feel like because I'm playing I'm playing uh, Mr. Miller, who's uh, the teacher that's that is on board with uh, the hive mind, and it, I find I feel like he's. Um, I mean, I think he's looking for a way. Like the reason why he's on board is he is looking for a way to remain special because he doesn't feel like he can do the running away thing i don't i feel like he he's he's trapped but there's also um he feels like he can still be special and work within the government's whatever um 
Yeah, he's... So he's... I mean, obviously, as is pointed out, like he's not that special. Um, he's certainly fallen pretty far. He's at a not-so-great school. No, he's at, a, he's at a kind of a shitty school. I wouldn't even go that far, but he's not a great school. It's not Okay, so he's not a great school, but it's also... I mean, and, and, and his, his students are... He basically doesn't have control of his class. Whether he ever did, or whether this is a result of the aliens, the aliens yeah. and, and all that stuff is, is up for debate. But, I mean, he can barely keep control of his class. And it's almost, I don't even know how much he's trying anymore. Um, and if, it's, it's interesting that he's um, so willing to go along with this. Until he find figures out that maybe he's not so special. <laughs> it's like, oh, I won't be special? Well, I'm out of here. Almost. Kinda. I mm, think it's a yeah. I think it's some it's some stuff that he hadn't really processed or thought mm. through and there's like a new alternative on the yeah. horizon, perhaps, some other Yeah, options. no, you're right. I think that he hasn't he hasn't really processed it. He hasn't thought too hard about it. Which I think is kind of what most people who are in this situation or haven't done them, but a lot of people have not really thought it through. Well, let's put it this way. If something terrible was coming to Toronto, mm-hmm. I don't know, SARS-2 or something like yeah. that, and uh, you'd be like, well, I can stay in Toronto and take my chances, mm-hmm. or I can go to Whitehorse or some other god-awful place. Yeah. I don't know. Toronto's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, also it's the place you know. Yeah. It's difficult to leave the place you know, especially if you think, no, I can make this work for me. Right. He's he's bought, I wouldn't say he's fully drunk in the Kool-Aid, but he's mm-hmm. drunk enough of it that he's like, yeah, yeah. okay, it's okay. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, I have to admit, I was a high school teacher for a couple of years and I wasn't very good at it. I mean, I was, I knew the material, but mm-hmm. I didn't have control over the students. Yeah. Now, part of that was... They had intentionally given the new teachers the worst classes, mm. but uh, yeah, I think that it would be really hard, like even for a really good teacher, to keep control of their class under these circumstances. Like, yes, these kids don't really care. I mean, we're talking about like in a couple of weeks, they're already going to know everything, right? Like, as far as everything, they, if if I'm sure that the students are like, look. I don't even need to be here because in like two weeks, I know everything you do anyway. Exactly. So what's the point? I mean, you know, not that this would ever happen, but it it was kind of a, it's kind of the original impetus of the whole thing. Like, mm. so yeah, why would, we wouldn't have teachers. We probably won't have libraries. Yeah. Who knows what we'll have if everyone knew everything. Yeah. Well, would we, like, who knows if we even need like jobs or like, yeah. what does the world become? So, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Other, I don't know. tune in and find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks. This has been a Homebody Productions production.